The Remedial Herstory Project is a nonprofit working to get women's history into the primary and secondary history curriculum. To help us meet our goal, we produce media, lesson plans, and so much more. You can check it out on our website, www.remedialherstory.com. Our project is funded through grants and by patrons, potentially like you. Thank you to our patrons, Jeff, Barbara, Brooke, Christian, Kent, Jenna, Nancy, Megan, Leah, Mark, Nicole, Alicia, Katia, Michelle, Jessica, Laura, Jackie, Annabelle, Dawn, and Megan. If you would like to join these wonderful people and become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com and become a supporter of the Remedial Herstory Project. You too can help us reform education and allow women to be seen, heard, and complicated. Hey, Elsie. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? I guess I do. In this episode, (laughs) we are going to be talking about Elizabeth Arden. Do you know who she is? Like the perfume? Like, yeah, the beauty industry queen. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. In this episode, we're going to be asking the question, what was Elizabeth Arden's impact on the beauty industry of the early 20th century? And we are joined on this episode by Shelby Robert, who is a teacher, a public school teacher. And I'm so excited. She did this research as part of her master's, and I'm going to be honest, I have not worn makeup since 2012. Yeah, we, we are We are in knowledge of this. Okay. Well, actually, I've been wearing it for our YouTube series. Um, yes. Oh, you've been I have it. been the makeup artist of Kelsey for the YouTube series. You have. Um, so for that <clears throat> reason, I like But that is for the but people. That is for the people. Must do what the people need. Yes. Um. And so when she mentioned Elizabeth Arden and makeup, I said, is this a topic over your head? And is this uh, one that I can lean in on? I have no idea who we're talking about. Welcome to the crowd. (laughs) Welcome to the Brooke (laughs) channel where we are getting into Ulta and learning about (laughs) perfume and makeup. And what is the best (laughs) eyeliner technique these days? I live in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone want to talk crimp? No crimp? <laughs> Foundation or spray? Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Um, <laughs> Actually, a topic I can get in on. <laughs> so um, I was so excited to learn from Shelby about her research, um, about this icon of yeah. the fashion industry, of, of, of the makeup industry. Cosmetics. Um, co- makeup. Lotion. Perfume. She it. is like the OG um like building the brands like of yeah. around her name. Yeah. So why don't we turn it over to Shelby Robert to introduce herself to our audience? Okay. Go, Shelby. Hi, my name is Shelby Robert. I'm a current high school history teacher, adjunct history professor, and PhD candidate. I live in Louisiana, and I'm very excited to be a part of the Remedial Herstory podcast series. Today's topic is going to be Elizabeth Arden. 
You might recognize the name from her beauty products that are still in use today. You can find her products in many major department stores and even in some cosmetic chains. So today we're going to be talking about Elizabeth Arden's early life and her business practices. And then we'll sort of connect her business practices to modern day marketing um, processes and kind of look at how her early work has really influenced the beauty industry today. I initially became interested in this topic because I took a class during my PhD program that focused on industrialism in early 20th century America. As part of that class, we wrote a research paper that kind of dug into the biography of um, a wealthy industrialist. I decided to focus on a female industrialist, and when I did a little preliminary research, I came across the name Elizabeth Arden, which I recognized from uh, the products that I had seen and used um, that she had created. So I became interested in the topic, I dug deeper into it, and I ended up writing a research paper and a blog post about Elizabeth Arden, and now I'm talking about her life on this podcast. So to set the context of our discussion before we really dig into um, her history, Elizabeth Arden was born in 1878 and passed away in 1966 at the age of 81. This means that her lifespan lays lies right in the late 19th century, early 20th century. This time period is largely referred to by historians as the second industrial revolution in the United States. This means that at this time, um, America's economy was shifting from a rural agricultural economy to an urban manufacturing economy. So we see many factories crop up. We see people moving from their farming jobs into uh, manufacturing jobs. And we just see a general industrialization of the United States. Um, so that's sort of the time period that Elizabeth Arden will be working in and that we'll be discussing. And the where of uh, Elizabeth Arden's story is New York City. Though she was born in Canada, she moved to New York City as a young woman and began her beauty career there. Obviously, um, she began in New York City, but her company rapidly expanded all over the world. Uh, but the, the base and the uh, headquarters of Elizabeth Arden Cosmetics still is in New York City today. So to get started talking about Elizabeth Arden, she was born, like I said, in 19 or 1878 in Woodbridge, Canada, which is just um, outside of Toronto, just north of Toronto, Canada. She's born into a relatively poor family with five children, um, and they live in a rural area and sort of live in poverty. When Elizabeth was six, her mother passed away, and so she sort of took up the mantle of the organizational um, roles that her mother would have filled. So she kind of kept her four siblings in line and managed the household in a way. Now, this is important because likely her early um, management of her household influenced her business practices that would make her very successful later in life. Now, uh, one of her early jobs and the most impactful job that she held as a young woman was that of a nurse. So in this role, she witnessed a lot of um, sickness and depravity, which actually grossed her out. She didn't like the sick people and she didn't like the blood, but she did really like the pharmaceutical and medicinal processes that she witnessed. So she liked the chemistry behind the medicines, the administration of them, kind of seeing what did and did not work. So she really liked that process. She just didn't necessarily like the sick people that she was, you know, 
administering these medicines too. So this is really an important part of her early life because later on her products will be some of the first that are marketed as scientific and, um, you know, containing revolutionary ingredients that make them more um, useful and more successful, more productive, so or effective. So um, her early time as a nurse kind of showed her, hey, I don't really like sick people, but I do like pharmaceutical and medicinal practices. Now, um, the fact that Elizabeth Arden was born poor and was raised poor was sort of a sore um, topic for her. She didn't like that kind of early life. And in her later life, she would endeavor to hide that from um, from her clients and from the consumers that, that bought her products. Now, the reason why is because when she moved to New York City, she opened her first salon. And this is the iconic Red Door Elizabeth Arden Salon. Now, this salon was very typical of this time period in the major um, hubs, uh, you know, chic fashion hubs of the world, Rome, Vienna, London, Hamburg, and New York. Um, hair salons were very common, but they were very prestigious. These were the places where wealthy women came and they gossiped and they made moves and they talked about all the things in their lives. So these are very important social hubs. And Elizabeth Arden gets in and creates that red, that red door salon, um, that we're all so familiar with. And she uses it as one of these major hubs. So she's catering to wealthy women, um, upper class women. And because of that, she sort of sets herself up as one of them. Now she's born poor, so she sort of hides that, but she dresses like these women. She talks like these women and she learns about these women. So later on in her life, when she begins to market products to them, she is sort of an insider in this um, societal, you know, sector. And so she's better able to market these products. What's interesting about Elizabeth Arden and unique about Elizabeth Arden is she has the hairdressing salon um, where the women come to talk. Then she also starts to offer facial services, makeup, uh, waxing, those kinds of services in the salon. So she creates a one-stop shop for all of her um, wealthy clientele. And she sort of creates a cult following. Again, she has set herself up as one of them. She is um, elegant. She dresses in a particular way, carries herself in a particular way. So she becomes one of these women and, and markets specifically to them. And so they all come to her salon, yes, because she's offering um, really nice services, but also because of the sort of prestigious manner of the, the services that she's offering and the reputation that she cultivates. So when she begins marketing her own line of cosmetics, which she does, um, she is offering the facial services and she starts to create little, um, little, creams and serums and things of that nature to go with the facial services. She already has a built-in consumer base um, of these wealthy women who've been coming to her salon for hairdressing and, and facial services. So she's able to easily market these products to these women and then they tell their friends and, and so on and so forth. And so she as she um you know begins creating these cosmetics, she's sort of already created a consumer um consumer line that she's able to tap into. Now, one of the most interesting things about Elizabeth Arden is she's sort of a pioneer, a trailblazer, if you will, of the beauty industry. So prior to the early 1900s, the beauty industry didn't really exist. Um, women didn't have the beauty routines that they had uh, following Elizabeth Arden's popularity, and especially not the beauty routines that we 
might have today. And they also didn't wear makeup at all because、um, wearing makeup was considered、uh, gauche and was sort of、um, limited to like performers and、um, working women、um, being sex workers. So wealthy women and even middle class women. Nobody wore makeup before Elizabeth Arden came into the、um, into the scene. She actually、um, uses a really interesting marketing technique. So she's already created a brand for around herself. So this is prestigious. The wealthy people come to her salon. The wealthy people are using her products. Then she sees a market, an untapped market, really, in the cosmetics. Industry. So she actually goes to France, and this is post World War One. So in the early 1920s, she goes to France and she sees French women wearing eyeshadow and wearing mascara. This is not done in America at this time period, but she sees that they are wearing them. That、um, American women sort of idolize the French, and she sees that she can take these products, create her own line, and market them in America as something that the French do. And even today. Uh, that's still a marketing scheme, is to kind of say, "Well, this is what the French are doing."、Um, the French are so classy and they're so,、um, you know, chic, and so you can sort of market things to American women that French women are doing. So Elizabeth Arden's sort of the first to do this. So she comes back to America from her trip to France, and she creates a line of eyeshadows, creates a line of mascara, and begins to market them to women. So she sort of kicks off the beauty industry as far as cosmetics go. Uh, in America, by marketing these French beauty products to women in America, and remember, she's already built this prestigious sort of reputation and brand. So the wealthy women trust her; they trust that she's stylish, they trust that she's chic. And so when she says, "Hey, it's chic and stylish to wear mascara and eyeshadow," they believe her. They begin wearing them, and then you know maybe people of lower class start to see the upper class wearing makeup, and then they begin to do it themselves, and sort of it trickles down. Um, to where all women are wearing makeup, and then they, the beauty industry, therefore, kicks off and begins to create this revenue stream that today is worth billions of dollars, and even in Elizabeth Arden's time, was worth millions of dollars. The Remedial Herstory Project is hosting its second annual Summer Educators Retreat to help teachers integrate more women's history and literature into their curriculum. Studies show that educators currently teach women's history between five and twenty percent of the time, with five percent being the plurality. Our retreat will feature speakers from around the world and be available online and in person, and provide educators with dozens of packaged lesson plans, videos, and other tools and resources to get women into every unit of their curriculum. The best part is that in-person attendees will get to network and relax with peers who are passionate about working to incorporate the diverse history of half the population. All but left out of the history classroom. The retreat will take place at New Hampshire's Common Man Inn and Spa at the heart of the White Mountains of New Hampshire, the best place to be in August. The retreat will take place between August 8th and 10th. Interested people can learn more on our website at www.remedialherstory.com/summer-educators-retreat. So the really important aspect of Elizabeth Arden's business plan is her marketing. She marketed things to women in a really interesting way, one that still persists to today. A lot of 
um, maybe we would consider them beauty influencers, still create a brand of themselves and then sell products that are the same products already being offered. They're just sort of under that umbrella of that beauty influencer's reputation. So Elizabeth Arden is sort of responsible for this business plan, this business model in the cosmetics industry. Also, she's one of the first to market specifically to women, and she does this through print and um, and picture ads that she publishes in her own little pamphlets and also in newspapers and magazines throughout America. So some of her um, early ads through uh, feature beautiful women in, in full makeup or, you know, in their sort of nighttime routine. And it kind of encourages women to buy her products in order to be beautiful, to feel beautiful, to maintain their, um, their youth. And so she's using these marketing, um, tactics to specifically focus on women, which is sort of unheard of in this time period. Before now, marketing has been geared towards men because they have control of the money in a relationship. Elizabeth Arden comes onto the scene in a time where women are getting suffrage, women are getting uh, more autonomy with their bodies and with their money, and so she taps into a market that has previously been un, um, unaddressed, untapped into, and so she's marketing to women for women, and this obviously is a really um, profitable marketing schema because today women make up a majority of the buying power in many economies, especially in the economy of the United States. So marketing is obviously a really important aspect of Elizabeth Arden's business and her success and probably her longevity as well. We She marketed these products as sort of youthful elixirs and women adopted them and then their daughters adopted them and their granddaughters adopted them and um, most of her products are still in rotation today and people would still consider um, them to be very nice products. They have sort of a cult following in um, the beauty industry today. So obviously Elizabeth Arden is a genius marketing mind. She taps into un or previously un um, explored markets and is able to make a really hefty profit off of that market. So the next really interesting thing about Elizabeth Arden's business practices are that she used scientific methods to create her products. So we already talked about she's really interested in the pharmaceutical and medicinal properties of different ingredients, and she was really interested in the chemistry behind these ingredients. She took that interest right into her cosmetics line, and she developed some really really nice and really effective products. And that is another reason why we see such longevity in her, in her business is that her products are superior. They are good products. They are effective. What she says they will do, they do. So using science and using um, chemistry, she's able to develop products that are really good products that when women try them, they love them. They tell their friends and then, you know, another marketing sort of wave hits her business. The final uh, interesting part of Elizabeth Arden's story is sort of the way that um, her brand began to impact her. So initially, she sort of set herself up as one of the wealthy women, one of um, the insiders, and then was able to market her products as such. As she became more successful, she obviously faced competition from um, other industrialist or industrialist women who wanted to also profit off of the beauty industry that Elizabeth Arden had sort of had a hand in creating. And then she also sort of 
ran up against opposition from some feminist movements. Um, because she was so successful, she actually kind of faced a little bit of um, ire, if you will, from some um, some women's rights advocates because her success made it seem like women were easily able to be successful in business when in fact they were facing many obstacles. Um, and so in fact, in a memorandum written to President Gerald Ford, one group stated, within this framework of progress, it is now imperative for women in business to be similarly assisted in participating in our free enterprise system. On the other hand, a few dramatic successes like Elizabeth Arden and Mary Wells Lawrence have tended to create the impression that women are doing well in business. We disagree. Elizabeth Arden was sort of a little bit under attack for her success just because she made it seem easy, really, and, and um, women's rights advocates wanted to um, get help for other women to get involved in the beauty industry. But then people who disagreed with that for that sort of idea kind of pointed at Elizabeth Arden and said, well, she's doing well. I don't know why anybody else can't do well. Um, and obviously that would have drawn criticism from uh, women's right, the women's rights movement. So she did face some opposition um, from those, those groups. Additionally, she sort of had some rivalries with other cosmetics moguls that popped up, specifically with Helena Rubinstein, who was a European, a Jewish European, um, cosmetic mogul in her own right. So as Elizabeth Arden began to globalize, as the entire world began to globalize, she came into conflict, um, and competition with foreign um, products, product lines and companies. And Helena Rubinstein and her, um, rivalry, rivalry was actually notorious. And kind of an interesting side note is that Elizabeth Arden kind of got swept up in the Red Scare of the, um, late 1930s. And she was actually accused of being a, uh, Nazi sympathizer at one point. And then obviously the FBI investigated and, and found that to be a lie. But um, she was not exempt from the uh, McCarthyism of that time. And so that's kind of an interesting side note to her legacy. So one of the, the last things that I wanted to address when talking about Elizabeth Arden is the fact that she maintained control of her own company well into her 60s, 70s. Um, and actually when she passed in 1981, she was the sole proprietor of her own company. She didn't step back and let someone else run it um, via proxy or any other kind of method. She wanted to be at the helm of her own company. And arguably, this is the reason why uh, her company was so successful. As she stepped down earlier in, in her career and, and kind of let someone else take the reins, she may not have been able to create the long-term success of the Elizabeth Arden Company. And so I think it's it's a really interesting um, aspect of Elizabeth Arden's legacy that she didn't let her age stop her. And I'm sure um, many women are familiar with the concept that older women are sort of erased from the public eye and, and not given um, the respect they deserve. Um, and Elizabeth Arden kind of challenged that. She, she maintained control of her combination, let um, younger people take over. She, she was a marketing genius herself. She continued writing her articles and, um, publishing her marketing ads and, and she was successful at that. Elizabeth Arden Company is still, 
um, a really popular cosmetics company. It's still a prestige brand, just like she set it up. And that's all due to Elizabeth Arden's marketing prowess and her tenacity and her refusal to sort of follow the status quo. She created an industry from scratch and maintained um, that industry well into um, her later years. At 81, when she passed away, she was one of the richest women in the world. Um, her legacy is, is so interesting and so important. She was successful at 20. She was successful at 81. So um, she invested in creating superior products and marketing those products. And her story is really important because during this time period, we focus on the male industrialists that um, were working in the steel and the banking and the oil industries. And we really neglect speaking about the female industrialists because they're marketing to, to women and they're involved in the beauty industry, which a lot of historians would consider less important. Um, and so the reason I wanted to talk about Elizabeth Arden is because she is a successful businesswoman, or she was a successful businesswoman. She was a successful businesswoman in her later life, where that's not a typical um, sort of story for these kinds of women. And she sort of did it on her own. She she didn't have to sort of defer to any men in her, her life and in her business. And so I think it's important that when we discuss the early 20th century in America, when we look at the curriculum provided in K-12 schools, we focus on the men, but we should also address the women who were um, integral to the creation of different aspects of the American economy during this time. So Elizabeth Arden's life is an incredible story of an intelligent, powerful, um, and tenacious woman who had a dream and pursued it. And I think that she's a really important woman that can inspire other women to kind of pursue their dreams and to um, create new things. And if there's not a market for the thing that you're creating, we'll create a new market. I really enjoyed learning about Elizabeth Arden and I have enjoyed speaking about um, her legacy. And so today I will end with a quote from Elizabeth Arden. Isn't it remarkable what a woman can do with a little ambition? Shelby, thank you so much for teaching me about this person I had never heard of. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Do you get that a lot? Are there a lot of people who have never heard of her when you share your research? It seems like it, which is so funny to me because she's in, um, or her products are in the department stores. But yeah, a lot of people don't know much about Elizabeth Arden. It's like never heard the name, don't know anything about it. When you were talking, I was thinking about um, some other, you know, you were talking about the importance of um, women carving a path for themselves in an industry. And if you stumble upon uh, a need in society, fill that need. Why not? Right. And don't don't wait for somebody else to do it. And I was thinking about Reese Witherspoon and her media company producing videos on women, um, on a, you know, with with powerful and complicated female characters. Um, I was also thinking about Madam C.J. Walker, who, you know, becomes the first uh, millionaire, female millionaire um, with her own line of products um, around the same time. And um, I don't know, are there people that came to mind for you that are so similar and, and carving paths in business like her? So obviously, Madam C.J. Walker is a powerhouse in her own right, but I sort of thought about uh, Helena Rubinstein, who was a 
Polish um, cosmetics entrepreneur. So she's actually operating in the same time that Elizabeth Arden was. And Elizabeth Arden is operating in, in North America. Helena Rubenstein is operating in Europe. And they both globalized their, uh, their companies at about the same time. So they actually start to butt heads and, and they become pretty staunch business rivals. Um, so she's also sort of a trailblazer in, in the European cosmetics market. And her and Elizabeth Arden um, are competing for the same sort of you know, position in the cosmetics industry. So Helena Rubenstein is um, one lady that I really thought about whenever I was writing this up. Wow, that's amazing. She's, that's so cool because I mean, I love it teaching with inquiry and having people who disagree on things or in this case are competing, you know, so that, that reminds me of the rivalry between like Carnegie and Rockefeller um, and, you know, trying to carve out space. And it would be interesting to look at, you know, di- you know, who had the, who had the better products, um, who had the better marketing scheme, who won the battle. I feel like there's a lot of really cool questions that you could investigate with students there. So that's so special. Well, thank you so much for your time and your energy. And I know that you're yourself are a high school teacher. So you've got a lot on your plate during this time. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing for your students and taking the time to share this history with, with us and other students. Thank you. I'm really excited about this project and I'm glad I got to tell Elizabeth Arden's story. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.